1: Today, we have one of the first mentors that I ever had in the music industry, Brian Johnston. He's senior director of A&R at Atlantic Records, one of the biggest record labels in the world. He's worked with Wiz Khalifa, Kevin Gates, Kodak Black. And with us, he shares a lot about his experience on being an A&R. He's been an A&R for eight or nine years, how it's changed since, since he started, and how he's found some of the biggest artists that he works with to date. He also shares with us how artists that aren't discovered yet, quote unquote, can get to that level and get to meet somebody like him.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a really, really awesome story. I think Brian had always had this ear, this love for figuring out what's new, what's popping. I think it was even before he knew what an A&R was, he was getting paid by Timberland, essentially, uh, to help him find new artists. So I think getting to dive deep into what Brian's looking for, into how he's able to effectively get the stars to align how he's able to get artists to work with the right producers and push the teams accordingly i think is uh it's just a really really refreshing view in in what makes this industry work right which is creating quality music so without any further ado let's jump into the show brian what's up man welcome to the show
2: thanks for having me Appreciate super it. excited
0: um yeah, I think this is a fun one too cuz I know you guys used to actually work together so this is uh, a yeah, coming man. full circle.
1: Yeah, man, I interned at Mass Appeal 4 years ago. Wow. So I'm only 24, so it wasn't like it was when I was <laughs> back I in the day. Day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't like too long
2: ago. But uh it seems like forever though, to be honest.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean it was right it was right before I left to study abroad in Paris and anything oh, before that's that. Forever. it's like damn, that what seems like a while, I seem like a different person.
2: I mean, I kind of am, so. Four years in the music industry is uh, probably 15 years in any other industry. Right, (laughs) exactly. So it'll definitely
0: age you. That's fun. So I know we were, uh, just before we even started rolling, already just talking about the definition of A&Ring. I think obviously there's a lot of different kind of lenses and perspectives, and obviously it's a complex role, lots of moving Hmm. pieces. But like, how would you define A&Ring, and and what to you kind of defines a a great A&R?
2: Uh, okay. Um it's there's a lot of like we were discussing earlier, you know, there's versions of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um the one I work in and I move and I uh that I feel is AR. Um in addition to like what comes behind, you know, scouting talent, finding ones that you think of a voice that's compelling enough you want to be in business with you know, getting to agree to be a part of your company and your vision, uh, in addition to, um, you know, helping them make an album, whether it's like, you know, you should work with this guy, you should do this. Like that's the most, you know, low hanging fruit version of what Mm -hmm. this is. Right. And then there's you, in addition to that, it's working with, every new and upcoming to more established producer and songwriter, setting up constant amount of sessions to deliver records for your team, your roster. So you might have an artist that is a hundred percenter, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to go in, write everything, deliver everything. They're going to find the producers they want to work with. Great. Like go off and do your thing. Um, But at the same time, I'm going to help. I'm going to try and meet them halfway. Be like, all right, I'm going to try and help them make the records. They're not going to make on their own. Mm -hmm to help them get over that hump maybe. So I'll go off and work with the best songwriters and producers and either try and create the best hooks or just try and flip the best samples uh, to play or deliver for them. And then there's some artists that don't do anything. They just got to, they're just a vehicle for a great song. Mm -hmm. That's more in the... um, you know, the pop and the pop rock and the dance world and stuff like that. You know, they're just got a good tone that people respond to, maybe a great story. So it's on you to find everything, to deliver everything. So um from like understanding what is a great record and why it's a great record, and then if you've got an okay record, how to get that from a C plus to an A plus, what goes behind that is it? I need a better melody. This pre-chorus has got too many syllables in it mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, why this production, why this snare isn't going to work. Or I need the snare from this Nelly record. Or I need I need sort of drums similar to, you know, this masterpiece song, but I need the 2020 version, you know. Right. So, like, figuring out what that looks like and, you know, working with creatives and being able to, like, you know, communicate what that looks like. And, um, that's to me, A&R, in addition to like getting the building excited, uh, communicating to the building, the, the label, right. What, what it is, why it matters, why you should be excited about it. Cause you know, a lot of A&Rs, they might do an album or a project and they just hand it off to marketing. And right. they just assume they care about it as much as you. Right. And, you know, then they just go, then they go off and do whatever they do. Um, but you should definitely in the first two years maybe of a project, you should be a part of everything, the whole process and communicating what it is, um, and
0: you know, helping to deliver their vision. So
2: I don't know if I answered the question, yeah, but for I sure.
0: no, that's is. awesome. I think um, I mean it seems too like there's definitely gonna be sometimes too where uh just at least on the artist side and trying to orchestrate producers and, and artists. Uh some people are obviously easier to collaborate with than others. I mean, what's your experience? Uh I mean when it comes to getting how have you gotten better at getting people excited to to work on various things rather than just like, yo, we need this verse, please. But yeah, oh, sure. I was
1: gonna say like, how do you I was pretty much gonna ask the same question. Like what how do you hone that skill? You know?
2: I think that just comes from, you know, knowing how to you know, communicate to people and how to do it. Um, it's funny. I was just having a conversation actually earlier today. Uh, I've been working in urban music. If you will rap and R and B for, since I started, you know, in the music industry and seeing, you know, maybe the more pop rock A and R's diving in, trying to discuss and have conversations with, um, you know, rap producers and R and B producers and not understanding what they're talking about and mm. you know, that makes my skin crawl. It's like, ugh. But uh it I think it just comes behind like experience over the years, like If I probably go back and look at how I discussed making records when I first started, Mm -hmm. I would probably be very embarrassed with myself, but (laughs) I was putting myself out, I was learning the tricks of the trade that like, okay, I understand how to, how this person works Mm -hmm. or how this person best works. And I understand how to get the best out of, you know, Mm -hmm. the more A-list guys, but then the new young guys, the younger guys who I'm constantly hitting up, you know, they've got their own works and, you know, they communicate that to you. So you... You don't just, you don't just be like, hit them up be like, yo, send me some beats. Like, right, maybe that that's cool, but I want to be there. If I see they're compelling enough, like I want to be a part of that whole, I want to in two, in three years, four years, they can be the next so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So they remember I got them their first placement. Like, right, Yo know, Brian got me my first check in this industry. I'm forever look out for him. Mm-hmm. I've got a list of like. All the, most of the A-list guys, I probably got them their first check And right now. You know, I got Metro his first check at Atlantic. Um, you know, so they remember that and they'll right. always look out for me, but I'm always good to them as well. So um, I think it just comes behind, you know, knowing how to communicate because um, there's a lot of artists that don't communicate. They're just not good at making friends and relationships like that. And some are. Some are hustlers. Some will hustle their way into any room. And so... Do you think that you
1: end up working more for, for younger, less experienced artists, or it just depends on the person you're working with? So do you think you do that liaison role more for, more for newer artists as opposed to older artists, or does that
2: not really make a difference? Um, I think after a certain point, they're already, they're, they're trained, like they're, they're, right. they're moving, they've got two albums out or an album and a half out, they're good they're mm-hmm. on their own path they're they're they they figure out whatever the kinks are right. uh, the new artists it's still you know it's very fresh and i need to the creatives that i want them to work with the producers and songwriters sometimes the artist isn't a fan of me as the label guy mm-hmm. because it's not organic mm-hmm. so i need to figure out the best way to facilitate making that relationship happen so it could be like i like this guy's production he'll send me a whole bunch of shit and this artist, I was like, all right, I get a folder together. I play through ideas. I'm like, yo, I love this one. I love this. I love this. And they end up writing to this record. And then what I'll do from a particular producer, and I'll say something along the lines like, you want some more stuff from that guy? He's he's dope. He's like, yeah, fuck with this. This is good. And then I get more stuff and I keep dropping the name. So what I'll do like a day later, maybe they record something. I'll put them in a studio in that same room, that same building. And I'll just drop the gym like, hey, you know that guy that did this? He's actually down the hall. And then Mm. they'll go make that connection on their own. There's a little bit of
1: social engineering there, too. Yeah, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You alluded to the kind of need a couple less or more syllables in this pre-chorus. I mean, I, there's no one size fits all like plug and play formula for a, a hit or a great song, but there are certain like trends. Um, what do you look for in a great song?
2: Um, I mean, again, like you said, there's no one way to deliver that. I mean, you know, pop, pop and rap and urban music pivots every couple years and that's the new sound. And that's Mm -hmm. how people respond. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's new iterations of what it was before, but it's a more compelling voice delivering it. But, um, I mean, melody will always be King, right? Right. It will always be King, but you know, a melody with, with a lyric will make something a classic at the end of the day. So if you, if you're delivering a great song with a compelling melody, you can strip back the production, you can strip back whatever, and it'll stand alone on its own. So you can, however, that looks like and sounds like, it'll still be that recording, that version of the record will still hold the test of time. So,
1: have you ever had to say something that the artist was upset about or maybe didn't agree with? And then once that happens, how do you kind of navigate that situation from there?
2: Uh, all the time. All the, all the time. time. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on your relationship with the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, thats uh, I think that's just like any other relationship with any other working relationship you might have with somebody. Right. Uh, it might get contentious, you know what I mean? But they know you're out there, you're fighting for them. Right. At least I hope I, they they realize that. Um, right. uh, and you're looking out for their best interests. But um, some battles are worth fighting and some are just not. And I'm just like, we'll just let that go. Right, right. But um, I think it's a case-by-case basis, really.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I just know artists, you know, it's their it's their life's work. And a lot mm-hmm. of the times it's at all what they have, you know. So sure. uh, when you're giving critiques to them, they may or may not be open to it, just depending on the way that they think about their music and how much it's been a part of their life so far. I mean, I would figure that'd be more so prevalent with newer artists, people who haven't really worked with A&Rs before. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody kind of telling them, look, your sound would be better if you did this or not. Um, so obviously working at a major label, I'm just wondering what that experience is like for you, but... Yeah, I mean, depending on the person. makes sense. Yeah, I think it's an
2: artist-by-artist artist thing um, and who I know is open to that and is like wants to learn and why I think that. Mm-hmm. But some are just, you know, some are just a volume, right? They're just going to record uh, 200 records and I'll just find the best 8, 9, 10, 12 and we'll find, you know, pump those out. You know what I mean? Right. And then some are just like they take three days on a song. Or they take two days on a song, whatever. Uh, I'll I'll hop in and I'll help them find whatever that they think they're missing on that record. And I'll try and do that. So is either one
1: of them is in, in both of those scenarios is one easier than the other? Uh or is it more just a different a different way of working?
2: Yeah, I think it's just a different way of working. You come to expect certain things, like you know, some artists, you know, they're doing four or five songs a night, <clears throat> but I have to sit with the music. Right? Yeah, I gotta I've gotta really. Dive in. I've got to trust their team, the people around them, who are you know they're the hopefully they're not yes men and hopefully they're people. I trust rely on the engineer quite a bit as well. Whoever's got a close relationship that can be honest with me, uh, we'll dig in and I'll pull aside you know the songs that I really like and maybe it's something the, the little tweaks that can be. Had to make a change to make it better. You know, I don't know, but if if depends on the artist, if something they'd be willing to revisit, but um, like production, I can revisit easily. You know, I could just make a, a beat harder or change some drums, right. or if there's a sample in there, you know, we can replay it or something like that. So, right. Yeah. Right.
0: Looking back, obviously, it seems like you've collaborated and worked with lots of different artists and producers who stand out as some of the, uh, the best to work with and why? Uh, producers, uh, or, artists, and producers. Yeah, either artists-wise,
2: um, I don't know, man. Uh, they're all they all like different experiences. Uh, I really I wish I could just drop mm-hmm. a name like, yeah, Yo, this because of this, but um, I think. What we did with Kevin Gates at the time where the music industry was, streaming didn't exist like that at all at the time. It was still a mixtape sort of space, but the internet as far as, you know, blogs and stuff, that wasn't a thing anymore either. Mm -hmm. So it was like this weird gray area where like things only lived on iTunes, Mm -hmm. right? And there wasn't even like a SoundCloud wasn't a thing yet either. So it's like either... You were on Dat Piff, so you had to go to a website or live mixtapes. So you mm-hmm. had to go to this website. that didn't even have an app. So it was this weird <laughs> space of like a good two years that was like that was the music industry. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be working with this gentleman at that time. And I think I'm um, not saying it's easier now, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot more opportunity for discovery now. Mm-hmm. Like your algorithms are going to tell you, oh, Yo, you like this. you know, like, if you just go down like just the YouTube Whatever the next video is, you can just keep yeah. scrolling down. It's like you're gonna find the other version of this record yeah. from somebody else. Like, uh, so that's amazing, by the way. And mm-hmm. then, um, but you know, Kevin at the time, I think it was just how we got that to the marketplace. Uh, I don't think anyone was doing it. I took cues from Gucci Man at the time. Actually, Gucci was putting up everything he ever recorded on, everywhere. Right,
0: As while he's locked up.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, don't, I forget what year this was, but he was just putting it everywhere. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could just, but no one was listening to Gucci like that, unless mm-hmm. you're a diehard Gucci fan, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, man, there's, there's no reason we can't a put up a pre-order for a mixtape because no one was doing that at the time. Uh, put a mixtape out, sell it at the same time, drop all the songs on 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 YouTube drop it for free on dat piff or live mixtapes. Um, you know, with top box, um, you know, everything that, everything that came with getting in all the DSPs just at the time, whatever those were, um, no one was doing that. And we were doing, we were the first people, uh, I convinced to do pre-orders for a rap mixtape. Um, I think that, I don't know if people give Kevin credit for that. Uh, I don't think they do, but, you know, like people were like Lil Wayne, a bunch of people were like running Dat Piff, like yeah. Meek Mill, were like murdering Dat Piff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I was trying to do is kind of set up his fan base to be be okay, be comfortable purchasing his music. Mm. So, yes, you got it for free. That's great. But at the same time, if we put a pre-order up two months out, they'd be like, okay, cool. $7.99, whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'll have it of the day, and you just keep promoting the pre-order, and then I think when when album time actually showed up, people felt comfortable. They felt okay paying for his music
0: because mm-hmm.
2: we did, you know, three tapes before three or four tapes before the album. Yeah, I forget what. So. Oh.
0: That's super cool. Uh, yeah, even today, I know like doing pre-saves on like Spotify has become yeah, a it's popular tactic. Yeah, yeah, pre-saves.
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, actually i don't even know how that works
1: yeah i I mean i think it becomes a playlist after you save it and it becomes available
0: so it saves it to your library so when it does become available it automatically downloads okay gotcha uh you can
1: also set notifications now so like (laughs) you can say whenever this artist drops one gotcha i can get one immediately so i'm not sure how new that is but um I, i think it does that when you follow them i'm
2: pretty sure I think I use the most basic version of what is Spotify. I just type in people's name and listen to us. <laughs> but, like, but I'll use like certain playlists and stuff like that. I, I know a couple of playlists that are like feeder playlists for other things. And right, I right. check those. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I got like eight playlists and like an A&R playlist and I just shuffle them together like every week and then just go through as many of them as I can throughout the nice. day. Nice. So yeah.
0: Which leads us to one area, which is the kind of talent scouting component of the field that is R. I I mean, is that something you focus on? Or, I mean, is that kind of like split up and divided and conquered by other a within Atlantic? Um, I mean, we have a
2: you know, we have a r research as well. Mm-hmm. I think every, every company does. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have tools, you know, proprietary software within our company that, you know, that does that sort of thing as well. Mm -hmm. In addition to like, there's websites out there dedicated to that. Um, I mean, there's a million ways to come across talent. You Mm -hmm. know, if I, me personally, you know, I'm not concerned about numbers. I just really respond to a voice. And if I dig in and there's a bit of a story there, uh, you know, I'll dig deeper. I want to know what it is, why it is. If I'm responding to it, I'm gonna assume somebody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, maybe the numbers just justify my gut instinct. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Was the when you say a voice, you're attracted to a voice. What about a voice are you attracted to, or what attracts you?
2: Me, the first thing I notice is someone's tone on a record. Mm-hmm. That's i always respond to that. Like whether you're a singer or a rapper, your tone. If your tone cuts through, it's distinct. Like. I'll respond. Like, if I played my mom, like, Big Sean and J. Cole back-to-back, she'd probably think it's the same person. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But if I played my mom, you know, Big Sean implies she knows that's not the same guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, they're vehicles for, you know, for that. Um. So, that's the first thing I notice. That's the first thing I look for,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, how you get in and out of a hook, how you you know, approach a verse. Are you compelling? Are you saying something that's like almost first person emotional sometimes, or are you just a straight hit, you know, uh, you know, a hit writer. Like if your song is like emotionally hollow and it's not, not sonically set for the club or the car, like, I don't know what purpose your rap record serves. Right. Right. If I'm not legitimately learning something from you, it, or you're putting me on some game and then it's, you know, like I said, if it's, if it's, if you're not, it's not going to get played out anywhere or your friends aren't going to ride you in the car. Like, I don't know where it lives in 2018. How much of that um,
1: is branding? Because obviously in the world of social media, a brand can carry an artist just as much as their music. How much of the A&R process for you or the or your coworkers is what is
2: this person's brand also? Um. Maybe, I don't know if brand for myself so much as opposed to like, is it contrived? Is like, this guy, is he going to be found out? Is this real? Is this mm-hmm. story real here? Are these your stories? Right. Like, once we go down that rabbit hole, like, not that I'm saying you need to be, as long as you're true to yourself, like whatever version of yourself is, like, um, that that's ultimately what I'm looking for as far as a brand, like. I don't care how you dress within mm-hmm. reason, obviously like, right, you, just, right. you just can't be a cornball, I guess, but, right. um, cause I, I don't play the hipsters. It's a very small edge of the world, right? Mm-hmm. They move on so quick. Yeah. The regular people of the world, they're the one who are going to hold you down forever. They're the people who keep. They're the people who buy merch. They're the people who show up to the shows, buy hard tickets. Um, And once they tap in, they're in there. They're part of their team so and so forever. Right. So.
0: That's super cool. What do you think, um, I mean, leads to longevity? Obviously, there's lots of artists that haven't hit, have a hit. And I mean, you've worked with lots of artists that may have been in that situation where they did just have a hit and they kind of like fell off and never really had anything past that. Um, but then you've also been in the presence and worked very closely with people that have had very kind of like long lasting, sustainable careers. I mean, sure. what do you think separates the two?
2: Um, sometimes, you know, having a hit out the gate is a, you know, it's a curse.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if you've gotten no, if you didn't, if you didn't do the groundwork, the legwork, and you built some sort of small fan base before you had that hit, um, the next record would be just as big as that one. Mm-hmm. And you got to come quick behind it because a lot of, particularly in rap, if, if you get a hit record, you're going to hit the road. You're going to go Thursday to Saturday, getting the, getting the show, the not even show money, the club money. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's been six months and you were getting 10 grand here, 20 grand here, 50 grand here. And it's like, oh man, I need a new song. And you, then you try to go chase that into a studio and you know. And you're trying to follow that up so quick. Um I've seen that time and time again. Happens all the time. Mm. So if you if you have a hit and you then you work your ass off for the next three months and you've got two missiles right behind it, you can probably stay on the road for three years. Right. Right. Legitimately. You can you can ride that way for as long as possible. But if you're doing the groundwork and you're the legwork and you're slowly just building and you you're doing Supporting act, you're just touring. You're just slowly building up from like 50 cap rooms. You know you're going to take a loss, right? You're in, you know, Topeka, Kansas, right? You know you're going to take a loss, or you're a southern artist, but you're out in Oakland. Maybe you're going to take a loss, right? It's just like that slow grind, and then when it's time for a hit, and you then you have one, it just it just amplifies everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's. You know the grind i think that comes behind legitimate like a uh, fan base that'll like like you said uh i forget the terminology you use but like well uh, you know longevity for, yeah just for some longevity and then you're just you know putting out quality material at a at a rate that people can consume it at the same time digest it and then you know you're hitting the road you're on the road a lot Um, And you're actually getting, you know, hard ticket sales. You're not, you know, not just popping up at a club. You know what I mean? You're on a flyer and you're doing three songs. You mean four songs, but you're actually hitting the road and touching the people.
1: I was telling Sam the other day, that was like one of the first things you taught me at at Mass Appeal, because you asked me to look for artists. And I was just sending you to artists that had like. Hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand hits on SoundCloud, and you were like, "That's not the only thing you should be looking at." And I was like, "The first time, I was like, damn, Like ticket sales are are important because obviously I was young, and that was my second opportunity to learn something like that in the music industry." The first, the first internship I had before that though was music publishing, and I was in the administrative department, so it wasn't it wasn't like we were really getting deep into that anyway. But, um, but yeah, it's just interesting you bring it up because that was like one of the first lessons you taught me. I think a few years ago. So
2: yeah, it's I mean, touring is like. It's like your victory lap, you know, hmm. um, if you're you're getting people to show up and and you're next time you come to that town, there's a hundred more people. Right. I mean, and then if, as long as you're slowly you know, building that and you're and those people, they feel like they're a part of your story. From early on, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like um, like Wiz, like the Taylor gang, they'll forever hold him down They're the, They're not going anywhere. They were such a part of his story from the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. When it comes to hits, do you feel like sometimes, I mean, have you been in situations where you thought it was going to be a hit and it flopped and then vice versa where you wrote it off and next thing you know, it's just like smash it? Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, so like what? Both ways?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes records...
2: Get attached to things that you didn't anticipate, right? Mm-hmm. And, or maybe they—they're the deep cut off a of tape, and you know that just starts raising its hand on its own. You're like, okay, this is this is the record. Sometimes there's a lot of people who are scared to make those distinctions and just put out want to put out the album or the project mm-hmm. and just see what people were responding to and like, all right, that's our single, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's things you deem. I'm not like I I'm not making that decision like, yo, we're going to spend a, a shit ton of money going to radio first. Cause that's a horrible idea. Right. <laughs> like, let's just put it yeah. out there in the marketplace and we'll call it a single, you know, totally. shoot a video. Yeah. It'll something, it'll lead a project or, you know, you just need some content out there at right. the time. And, um, you know, you're not putting a real hard investment cause it's free to put shit up on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. free to put it up there. Totally. So if it's going to talk back, it's going to talk back. It's not at the expense of, you know, your Whatever, you know, some. Right. And then, uh, cool, we'll spend some money at Mix Show or you'll do something here, you know, mm-hmm. They'll really easy to handle things. But you're not. We at Atlantic aren't going to go straight to radio with something we would never do. Mm-hmm. Right. Or now, anyway, maybe years pass. Yeah. So how much of your job is like putting younger
1: a rs on game? Like, obviously, A&Rs now, they get they get hired like very young. Uh, sure. you know, we have one on our team that's 20, 21 years old. Uh, I know, I know another consultant, I think he, I think he works for Atlantic. He's like 20, 21 years old. So how much of your job is like mentoring them?
2: Um, well, it's not something we're asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are offered an opportunity through, you know, particular systems. You know, we have, um, we have internship programs through like certain colleges that want to come in and, you know, someone will spend three months here during the summer. Um, But I have like me on a personal level, I have about five kids that kind of tap in and I give them opportunities constantly. Um, If I respond to their ear, like that's really what it boils down to. I don't need another version of me. Right. Right. Like I know what I like. Maybe I'll have somebody who, who I align with taste wise, like on a personal level, like, yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> you know, let's and I, I think they're just on the cusp of what I do as well. But I try and find the kids who are, you know, finding those things I'm not finding, mm. you know, the the that are people making the music that aren't necessarily in my immediate world. Um and in addition to like I really want these kids to tap into producers, finding those young songwriters and those creatives, like finding that kid maybe in um You know, Gary Indiana, who's a rapper, but his voice is tone, isn't there. But, yo, this dude is a songwriter. He's a real songwriter. And engaging with them, you know how many songwriters I've turned, I mean, many artists I've turned into songwriters, like, over the years, just writing hooks for me, Mm -hmm. like, lots of them. And they get lots of looks. And they're like, all right, yeah, I was so close to giving up as the rapper thing because it wasn't working out. But, you know, then they're becoming songwriters. So... It's just like, um, yes, I do mentor some kids. Actually, a young man that was at uh, at Mass Appeal, who I gave him uh, an internship because I thought he was super inquisitive and I thought he asked a lot of questions. Mm. And some people thought he was a little annoying, but I loved <laughs> that he asked so many questions. And he hovered, and he was he he, had a, he just got a job at Atlantic. Um, uh, as a research ANR, his name is Adam. Wow!
1: Awesome. Good for him. That's dope.
2: But I really like um, engaging young kids, like that want to learn. The ones that are like on some like a "Told You So" or like "Yeah, yeah, yeah" constantly, like <laughs> like you're telling them something like "Yeah, yeah, I know that." Uh, that's just tough. But I definitely want to um, engage with more young kids, just kids in general. The kids that are like hanging out at studios till three in the morning. Those kids that are studio hopping in Atlanta, studio hopping in LA, they're just getting in the rooms. I like to meet those kids a lot too.
1: So how do you provide that level of mentorship without influencing their ear too much? I know you said you don't want them to be an exact copy of you. Is it more like you kind of prod them in order to think a certain
2: way or how do you kind of draw that line? You know, um, I might groom their ear a little bit. Mm-hmm. And ask them like, why do you think that's a? What, what do you like about that? Where do right. you think that fits in the marketplace? Why do you think people are going to care about that? They might have to critically think about things, but at the same time, it's like if you really believe it and you want to drop your nuts on it, like speak up. You know what right. I mean? Like if you really believe in it. Um, but you know, just give them tips and pointers along the way. Nothing in particular. Like some kids are more. You know, artist-wise, some kids are gonna be, I think, you know, this is gonna be a song kid. You know, yes. he's tapped in, he he was a producer at one point, or you know, he you know, he comes from this sort of background, so he understands how to communicate to songwriters. And then some kids kind of cover both. But I, I really enjoy that.
0: Cool. On the the corporate end, I mean, I think you definitely uh I mean, we're looking at the perspective of like younger kids climbing the ranks. For you Obviously, there's the kind of the bureaucratic component of like, you got like a fire record, incredible record. You want to actually get the marketing resources, the support on that end. Can you just talk to your, I mean, and then at the flip side too, I mean, you worked in a bit of a smaller company like Masspeel versus like uh, Atlantic. Um, What have you learned when it comes to trying to foster buy-in? I mean, specifically at Atlantic in that situation
2: getting people excited about a record. Yeah. So I I know we're launching it like right yeah. and getting it. Is it a, like a, a brand new artist or is it
0: an established act? Um, be more difficult for brand new, right?
2: Yeah. It's a different, whole different process.
0: Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Let's start with the brand new
2: brand new. Uh, you know, i am AR and some product managers slash marketing, you know, the very territorial, um, it's again, it depends on what kind of music it is, where they are in the marketplace, where they are in the news space. Are they a baby baby baby? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or are they somebody who's had a little bit of love already and right, you know, they're getting press and things like that. Um I don't think there's like one way right. that this gets delivered. Like there's a there's people are doing things like, you know, like everyone does, what social seating, right? You're gonna plug it into like a famous person's Instagram account or you'll attach right. it to a meme page, you know, things like that. As corny as that sounds. That shit works. That's what, ridiculous. That's what he does sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I think but our buddy uh, Jordan Chalmers does a lot of that for you guys, right? Yeah, Exactly.
2: He, he worked his way in from being a pro, uh, a digital, you know, digital manager to mm-hmm. like, like that is what he does for right. Atlantic. Now that's yeah. all he does is just, he's always walking by my office, like giving people tours. And I'm like, I don't know who any of those people are, but evidently they're they're really compelling. People respond to what they're doing on the Internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some Instagram page with like six million followers. Yeah. <laughs> and they like cover roller skating or something like that. I'm like, what?
0: You know, <laughs> but It exists. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> the world of influencers. You gotta love it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's such a weird world. But then you've got a more established axe. It's like, all right, we're launching this at the Super Bowl. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or this is getting... Previewed at, you know, in a, this is launching through this new Gap campaign or something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's such a a bigger way to to get records in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've seen it, you know, we've done it, I'm sure. But once it gets to that point, like they're already massively established. And, um, not saying I don't really care how it gets out Mm -hmm. there, but it's going to do what it does on its own. Totally.
1: Um, what's your relationship like with the artists managers? Um, so obviously like you seem very hands-on and you seem like you, uh, you kind of get into the nitty gritty of the artist development and artist creative. Um, have you ever run into managers that are kind of control freaks about their artists or, you know, you needed to kind of massage that relationship a little bit?
2: Yeah, all the time, all the time. Um, I try and get it early on so they feel comfortable about making decisions, me helping make decisions, mm-hmm. or just me doing what I do. Um, most of my day is spent on group text with different managers. Right. You know, whether it's their day-to-day and their, ma- their main manager. Um you know, some some are more seasoned than others. Um, early on, if you're working with a brand new artist and the manager is green, very green, mm-hmm. you're the manager.
1: Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. Vice versa, too. What's that like? Yeah, so if
2: you you and probably the A admin person, and potentially the and the product manager, you're the management team, right? Minus the commission, right? So, right. Uh, you help everything that comes behind whatever looks like the next, the first year or two potentially. And not that I don't want them to be a part of the process. That's the last thing I want. I want them to learn what we're doing and why we're doing it. Cause I want them to be able to obviously help. And I I try and give them as much resources as possible. I might have them meet a more seasoned manager. Like, Hey, Mm. you know, somebody I know that I'm friends with, like, Hey, can you spend a weekend with this guy? And just kind of like, you know, bring him up uh, speed on certain things, you know, like teach them some things, like go hang with them. Maybe he can lean on you without me there.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so I try and do that as much as possible. Um, but some managers are, you know, they, they know it all and that's cool. You know, then some managers are really on top of their shit and I don't have to worry about anything. Right. It's like, let me go do me and you, you go off and then they come back to the, you know, within a week they've done what some managers can't even do in two years. So, um, they're not, not all managers are the same. That's for damn sure.
1: Do you think at a certain point, um, especially for these green managers that kind of have to take control or else you can't, you can't work with them. You can't continue the relationship. Or do you just usually resume that responsibility until, until the deal is done or, um, like has the, has the management or the team behind the artist ever become
2: an issue with the way that you work? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some artists actually, once I find out that it's a manager, this manager is involved, I just won't engage with them. Wow. I'm just not interested in being in business with them.
1: because
2: mm-hmm. um, I know what comes behind that. The stress of this person is gonna put on me. And unless it's like this artist is like a a global, like, yo, this is gonna be a life changer for me, mm-hmm. then I won't then I won't, you know, entertain that. But if it's somebody who's like, ah, it's cool, it's cool. It it serves a purpose. It's good. uh, I I just won't entertain it because I know how much stress that person's going to put on my life. Right, right.
0: Interesting. I think you obviously you have a very like unique ear, and I think that's like a. I mean, that's your job. Uh, What when you think of kind of sonically looking past the, looking at the past like five to 10 years, can you talk a little bit some of, through some of the trends you've seen come and go? And then, I mean, we don't have to necessarily look into the future, but I'm just really curious from your perspective, somebody that like pays so close of attention to just little nuances and this vibe versus that vibe. Um, I mean, obviously we've seen like hip hop become like the leading genre right now. Like the whole like trap sound is huge, but I'm just... Uh, just curious, from your perspective, like, what trends have you seen over the past, like, five to ten years come and go?
2: I mean, we know hip-hop's been the leading genre for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have a place to thrive. And um, on a global scale, that labels gave a shit about it and, like, brands gave a shit about it. And, um, you know, places like Dat Piff and live mixtapes and, you know, hand-to-hand tapes were, right. were, were running right. it. So, right. um And now, you know, that's not the case, obviously. Mm-hmm. But... As far as like sonically um it's like it just dips in and out so much you know just um I hate when people try and make future sounding music whatever Mm -hmm. that is like like (laughs) they try and sound like the future unless it's rooted in chords (laughs) I think it's garbage like Uh um but I'm gonna do a horrible job answering this like what is what are some things you're thinking and then I can probably tack on like um Cause, I mean, from my memory, like in 2004,
1: 2005, the biggest thing I could think of was like snap rap, like Soldier Boy, Young Jock, you oh, know, sure. kind the whole I mean,
2: dance craze thing. I mean, yeah, we could just do a lineage of like what kinds of stuff right. responded to. Uh, for the past five years, I don't know if there's been like a big sonic change. I mean, other than like maybe the real, you know, the stuff like Ronnie J's of the world uh, the more bass heavy sort of 808 the muddy 808s mm-hmm. that come behind this last two to th- three years of what SoundCloud mm-hmm. rap was yeah yeah. Um, you know that's obviously I mean there's a 1000000 subgenres that that's been doing a lot of different things but the things that have you know kind of poked their head up and people have responded to outside of their immediate world was you know that sort of space that sort of sound and you know know, um, everyone says you know what, what you know, people like Juice World are doing, um, in that space, and Little People is doing, um, you know, they pretty much just like good Charlotte records, but without the live instruments, you know, mm-hmm. or they were like Saves the Day or Get Up Kids records without the live instruments, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of really been it for the past five years outside of like you know, better versions of you know, like certain trap records that, uh, you know, like Gucci's been doing or Jeezy was doing or whoever was doing, or, you know, obviously the, the flow, the, the approach to songwriting the Migos have had has had a big influence on a lot of people. Um, you dive deeper there? Uh, I mean, outside of their cadence that, you know, they, that came from, you know, uh, Lord infamous and what he was doing with three, six mafia in the, you know, the mid nineties, early to mid nineties. Um, that's sort of the world. I mean, what Memphis rap did as far as an influence just on someone, even like a Gucci man, um, that's still pretty prevalent today. Um, I think that approach to songwriting is, you know, it's kind of held down. What is this version of like Southern rap? at least the past five years.
1: Do you think that in your role, there is, do you feel the pressure at this point or is it sort of like, you know, you're just working? So Uh, are there any artists that you sign or that you maybe didn't sign that, oh man, I I should have, I missed my opportunity. Or you did sign them and you were like, you know, maybe this isn't a good look. And, you know, after that happens, Do you, you, are you given any anxiety or is it sort of like, this is just business
2: at this point? Sure. Um, I mean, there's been quite a few artists that I should have signed, you know, I've spent a lot of time with early on mm -hmm. and maybe I just didn't, you know, trust my gut,
1: Mm -hmm. um,
2: or someone said something that kind of like, really? Oh man, maybe I'm, maybe this isn't true. Maybe I'm, maybe this isn't the right artist or so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I could. I can go through a list, but uh, I'm sure you want names. Uh, no, it's okay. I mean,
1: it's up to you, man. I mean, we're not gonna make you do anything you're uncomfortable with. It's more. It's. I'm just more so asking at this point in your career. Do you feel? Do you feel the pressure of being an A&R and what that means to the rest of the label? Or is it more like you know I'm right. just working? This is it just what I'm doing? Uh, I mean, it is a job
2: at the end of the day, right? Right. Uh, um, and performance, you job. know you know is is key uh I have a great relationship for the people I work for mm-hmm. uh but I'm not comfortable I don't think that's in me just personally it's just it's always i'm always chasing something I'm always right. just like um chasing the record chasing the head i wanna be first on this i wanna be you know i wanna do this i wanna win i want I want the best for the label the team the artist so um yeah, some things don't work out, and that's that's okay and um you know, I, I always put my all into it, whether it's working or not. I still try and get the best out of, you know, uh, the artist. And whatever the circumstances are, they know I, I went to bat for them. I did what I could to win. Um, and they'll they'll never say it was A&R's fault right. because it didn't win. Maybe most of the time um, it's a combination of um, artist drive and what they want to put in to get out of it, so...
1: Who was the uh, who was the first artist you signed?
2: The first artist I signed, actually, it was a producer. Uh, well, I when I first started, you know, I was at Atlantic, and um, gosh, how long ago was that? Ten years ago? Eight? Nine years ago? Nine years ago, I think. Um, and I was actually one of the first artists I was given. Was uh, I started looking over the day to day of uh, what Plies was doing. And I was getting a lot of records done for Plies and Lupe at the time, randomly. Um, and Flowrider, actually. Wow. Um,
0: Eclectic mix right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: But it, it comes down to a song. And is the song going to, you know, because um, I can repro- reapproach the production and fix whatever comes behind that. Um, but if it's a song is there, like you'd be surprised, like the songs that start as this start as a TI record and end up like a flow Rider record or, or vice versa. I had this one record that was, uh, plies TI. Um, flow Rider again, MIA, they all cut it and it never, and it got cut by another artist on another label and ended up going over there. Um, but like, the approach of the record, you know, it was just came down to the top line. The hook was so it was just right that it could live anywhere. It's just a matter of changing the production.
1: Right. Um, how much of your job do you think is driven by competitive nature? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of artists that are out now. And it seems like sometimes before they even drop a record, they're already signed to a multi-million dollar deal. It mm-hmm. just kind of depends on the artist. Um, do you let that get to you when you're when you're thinking about an artist like, oh, this artist could get taken by another label if I don't make a move on it.
2: Oh yeah, all the time, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, you're like you said, you gotta you know trust your gut to be able to like you're in there. They hired you for a reason and they trust you. Um, and sometimes you just gotta be like, all right, let's go. I'm gonna put my name on the line for this, mm-hmm. and you know whether you're in there early enough to where you don't feel like you, you can get an agreement done with them that isn't, you know, going to be off the walls, ridiculous, but it's going to, it's going to sort of speak back on what they're doing, where they are in their career. Uh, yeah. But yes, that's a very big thing. It's very competitive, obviously. Right. Even within the company sometimes, you know, like, you know, if you've got, you know, 10 A&Rs, um, you're not all talking to each other all the time. Right. Right. So (laughs) Um, right. That can get kind of iffy too sometimes.
1: Have you ever wanted to sign somebody another a on your team was trying to sign? Like, has it ever been that
2: directly competitive? Uh, not. It depends on the artist. Sometimes I'll just give it up and I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Because mm-hmm. I just don't like the... The contentiousness. Right. <laughs> that's just not me, I guess. Right. Maybe I'm just so passive in that regard. Right. Uh but yeah, no, that's that's never happened to me personally. I mean, unto the part where I'm always like livid. I'm like, no, I'm getting this done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've partnered with people on certain things, but or I've considered partnering, but
0: when you look at the um I mean, we haven't really spoken much to your experience at Mass Appeal. And I'm curious the difference of the kind of the pros and cons of working at like a smaller, more boutique label like that versus like a bigger company like Atlantic. Um, would you enjoy? Would you dislike? Like, yeah.
2: Sure. Well, when I was at Mass Appeal, you know, I had ownership in the company at the time. Uh, I was the GM. Mm-hmm. So it was really on my shoulders to like, you know keep the lights on you know mm-hmm. so what came behind like managing the day-to-day of you know the people that work for me that's a very different role than what is A&R right. mm-hmm. it's like the ab- absolute opposite so you know I came in there very green in the space of like really knowing what came behind getting a record to marketplace um you yeah know, I had a, I had a friend of mine I could lean on for those kind of questions, a colleague and a gentleman named Amit that was very good in that space. He's probably one of the smartest minds in independent music to me personally, particularly independent hip hop. Um, I think he's really good at what he does. Um, but I was very fortunate to have, to be able to lean on him in that regard, uh, even though he, he worked there sort of, but uh, he worked at a bunch of different other labels, but it's night and day, man. And... Um, and then when it was, when I realized, I think I thrive better in the creative space, what, I don't know, what an A&R role on a day-to-day basis was, um, I realized I was like, Hey, this isn't for me. Yeah. It was just, uh, you know, I could, I could run an A&R department. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting an album out and like an artist really looking at you to deliver what that looks like it's tough. Um with like a team of about six people at the yeah. most.
0: Yeah. That's a cool experience though. I mean, to be able to see both sides. From manufacturing
2: what it comes to actually designing a layout, you know, that's cool. That's cool. You know, making sure, you know, everything that comes with just from manufacturing to shipping. I don't know, just even that part, I had no idea about. I had mm. zero. You know, references. There's not a book I could read about it. I just kind of trudged my way through it and kind of figured it out as I went, yeah. asking a million questions. Yeah, um, it was a great experience, and I'll take I will. I will absolutely I took away a lot from what what I lo- what I learned doing that. to um, When I came back to Atlantic and and um and you know had to roll out projects because mm-hmm. um, I really understood what what came behind taking a record to marketplace because before A and R wise I would just be like. Here's the album. Here's the project. Cool. All right. Fingers crossed. And then I know what is actually getting done. And if like, is that legitimate? Why are we doing that? And I would ask too many questions and I don't know if they <laughs> hate me. Uh, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Speaking of that, that role, just of being an a um, I think everyone, at least I did at some point in the industry realized what they wanted to do. So like I was interning at like four different places. Sure. And they all didn't seem like... They went far enough. I was like, I don't want to just be on a label. Like, I want to be talking to the artist, or like, I don't want to just be doing the pub, the publicity at that yeah. point. Because I wanted, I want to dig a little deeper into the album rollout. At what point were you like, this is what I want to do? I want to be an NR.
2: Um, you know, I didn't even know what it was. Um, I used to work in the film industry years ago, like in college, out of college. I was, uh, I did something called Grip and Electric. I live in North Carolina. So I did lighting on TVs and movies and commercials and stuff. And on the side, I would shoot music videos um, for rappers, whatever, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. I'd pop down there, shoot videos. And all the while, obviously, I'm obsessed with music, right? Just in general. That's why I wanted you know, to shoot rap music videos or just whatever. And I started... You know, I was in and out of bands, you know, from high school growing up. I was in marching band. I was a big marching band nerd. Uh, you know, I played percussion and I did drum corps. And I got into like really into collecting records and music and just being tapped into what that looked like. Mm-hmm. I DJed had a radio show. So, you know, it always came back to music for me. So here I am, I'm, you know, working in film and... You know, I made a lot of friends with these managers for these for these artists, and I made friends with the artists. And I just started like having lots of music conversations with them. And I seemed to be ahead of the curve constantly on like, 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 yo, you should listen to this, or you should listen to this. And they were like, yo, Brian, you're always, you're always tapped in. Why, how do you know? And I... I didn't have an explanation why I knew all this stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's what I do. I just like <laughs> to know what's happening, what's new, what's... And they're like, yo, you should be in a and And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, what is that? And then, <laughs> and then it kind of was explained to me and I Googled it and I was like, "Yo, that's tight. You can yeah. get, that's a job. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I was like trying to figure out what my life was going to do next because I wanted to get out of the film industry because combination of things, you know, always out of town, I was in a relationship uh, with somebody and I'd be out of town for like three months at a time. I'd be in the middle of nowhere in Georgia or middle of nowhere in Alabama. And um, then I just, you know, I looked at guys that were working for and their quality of life wasn't that much better than mine. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I got to get out now. So I just really Googled like how to be an A&R or what is an A&R, what comes behind it. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. You know, I'm, here I am in North Carolina. I don't know anybody in the music industry, not even in North Carolina. And I just started, like, researching and reaching out and asking a lot of questions. And fast forward a couple years, and I ended up getting, uh, working my way in. Kind of random. Um,
1: I might be misremembering this, but did you say you used to make mixtapes for people? Yeah. And then did Timbo end up getting at some? Or is that me imagining that? No, no, no. It was a while ago you told me that story. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, uh, gosh, you remember that. I yeah. don't know if I've told that to many people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, where I'm from in Virginia, a place called Newport News. And a, a buddy of mine that I knew through a mutual friend, he played piano. And I knew he was a producer. Uh, and I knew he made music with some people. But his name's Hannon Lane. And Little, come to find out he was making music. he was like Timberland's one of his main piano guys, so he was playing everything for Timberland. He'd go over to Virginia Beach, lock in for like a week or two. He did like rehab for rihanna he did like um so all that piano work that's actually him. He made that in his mom's basement. Wow, uh, on rehab for Rihanna. He made a bunch of like random like Fallout boy records to like a bunch of random like flow rider records like elevator anyway. I was friends with him and he knew I was always on top of music. So he'd get in my car and I would just play CDs and stuff like that. He's like, yo, man, you should make me some CDs, man. I was like, he's like, you know, I need to listen to that new shit. You know, I'm just in church all the time or going to, <laughs> going to this studio. I'm like, all right. So I started making a mix CDs. He's like, yo, can you write down who the artists are on this? I was like, damn. He's like, I'll give you some money to do. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> so I started randomly just making a mix CDs and I'd give it to him. I did it for like two months, three months, something like that. And I don't know how, I don't remember exactly how I ended up. He's like, yo, you should come by the studio if you're ever in Virginia Beach or something like that. So I ended up going over studio. First time I've ever been in the studio. I was like, yo, this is dope. It was like, it was like, you know, one of the coolest looking things that I've ever seen. And long story short, uh, he was kind of giving those mixed CDs to Timberland. He was. He would like play him. And then Tim, like, I guess I don't know how Tim found, like started, and I, he started finding out new artists and, you know, via those mixed CDs back in the day. And Timberland comes in the room, Hannon introduced him to me. He's like, yo, you good? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and uh, he had me, uh, he's like this guy named Larry, I guess he was like right man, right hand man, Larry live. He's like, yo, Larry, get his number. So Larry would hit me all the time and I'd go meet Larry and give him mixtapes and wow. give me money for it.
1: Do you think that was validating to you as an, as a potential a and
2: I didn't know what it was. You <laughs> know what I mean? It was just <laughs> like, this is cool. Yeah. You know, it was, awesome. I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know what it was, but you know, it was just kind of like a peg in along the way. I was like, and you know, Hannah was like, yo, you should really do this music shit, Brian. I was like, all right. And that's what kind of <laughs> went like around the same time the guys were telling me what an AR was. This is like a little, I don't remember if it was before or after it, but yeah.
1: Did you guys end up ever reconnecting? Did you ever meet meet Timbaland and then be like, yo, I'm that dude that was giving
2: you CDs back in Virginia Beach? No, I met him uh again in passing through something. Um, but yeah, no, I wasn't really tapped in with them like that
1: after right.
0: that. It's right. kind of
2: odd, but.
1: where? are right, you want to get to these hot takes?
0: Yeah. So the hot takes are essentially a segment that we do at the end where it's like not necessarily stuff that we believe, but it's stuff we've just been hearing in the industry. I uh, just want to get your perspective. So, for starters.
2: So, rumor mill stuff?
0: Yeah, rumor mill stuff. Like uh, um, one of them, labels aren't as invested in artist development as much as they used to be.
2: What do you think artist development is?
0: I think the notion of uh, rather than just like really trying to sign artists and churn out as many records as possible, really like working with them to help them grow. You want to dive deeper?
2: Yeah. So um, this is a very broad term. So I just want to be clear.
0: Right. I just
1: I think for me, the defining thing is how early you find the artists. So, um, you know, I work with artists where we found we heard we are one track. Um, it didn't even have a ton of streams. It was literally just it sounded so good. We were like, All right, let's let's set something up. Um I think there's a, a rumor in the industry right now that labels don't do that anymore,
2: that you have to bring the some farthest. sort of I mean, for Atlantic, that's the farthest thing from the truth. If it's good, I'm gonna go kick the tires on it. I wanna see what right. it is. Why why is it good? Who are you? Are you a real songwriter? Did you just get lucky that day? Were you right. writing ten song ten years before then? And that's the one song that kind of cut through? Right. Like, are you prolific enough, you know, of a songwriter where I'm putting you in the room and next one's good. Next one's good. Next one's good. All right, great. You're becoming a real songwriter. Um, We there's a there's thousands of artists that get signed to these labels all the time. Mm -hmm. Just people aren't responding to the music. Right. That's it. Like they're doing all the things that come behind getting an to marketplace. But the music isn't doing the heavy lifting. Right. People aren't getting into the story, they're just not there. There's a lot of artists that fall under that umbrella. There's... At every label. So, you know, I think people have a tough time with, like, certain, you know, certain artists they think are just trash being so good. Yeah. That speaks to kind of us as a culture. Right. Right. Us, you know, what, you know, like when Big Bang theories the most popular TV show. Yeah. When like Jimmy Fallon hosts late night TV, like, like John, Donald Trump is president. Like just popularity in general just represents our tastes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of amazing artists that I think should be a lot more popular than mm-hmm. they are at the moment. They're like, they're my shit. That's what I listen to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to their show. Um, but people just don't know about them. That's all good. Do you think you have a line in your head of, and
1: obviously these sometimes it's sort of like a Venn diagram of this is the music I fuck with. This is what I think everybody else will fuck with. Or is it more kind of like, you know, all in the middle here?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's things I understand. It's like a business move where it's like, okay, great. This is, there's a purpose for here. This one right here. It's not right. my world. It's not going to keep me up till four in the morning working on it, mm-hmm. but I understand it and what it is. Now, I might sign it or be a part of it, but I'm going to bring someone along in the process, like another A&R or somebody who's like, you know, like really is into it. Like, yo, this right. miss your shit. All right, cool. We'll do this together. Right. You know what I mean? And then there's things that like more passion projects. Like, they might not be the biggest global thing in the world, and that's okay, but you might get a deal done that kind of speaks to what they are and where they are. And you just make sure the expectations in the building and the company are what that is. And that's okay. It's like, this isn't going to be a behemoth. You know, this isn't going to be Bruno Mars or Ed Sheeran. This probably isn't going to even be like, you know, some other, you know, much, just a touch bigger, but this is, this is their world and they're really good in their world or, you know, they do this and, you know, you make those, maybe you make those cultural signings. So other artists, you know, see like, oh, they're doing something different. That's cool. You guys fuck with that guy. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, that speaks volumes sometimes when you're in the building, you when know, you're trying to, you know, be in, be in business with people that may be the better version of this guy. You know what I mean? Like, right. They, they like, so young artists respond to that. They pay attention to that shit constantly, particularly it's a small world. They probably know that artist and they'll reach out to them like, yo, Atlantic's trying to holler at me. What do you think? Like, yo, Brian over there is my guy. He'll hold you down. Like, all right, you know. All right. All right. Which kinda leads to the next hot take.
1: Um older ARs are less in tune with the culture than the young guys joining the game.
2: Uh I mean there's some cornball old ARs, man. They're just <laughs> they have great lawyers, right? Yeah. And they've positioned themselves to like hold them down in a position. Like there's ARs at companies I've never heard of, and they're senior VPs. I've never <laughs> seen them once Anywhere, I've never seen them in a studio anywhere. Yeah. I've never seen one other artist even that's remotely on the rise mention that they've talked to them. That's okay. Cool. I don't know what they're doing and I'm not concerned about it. And I'm right. glad they're old and they're in the space that they're taking up. That's right. cool. I have no problem with that. Um, but then there's old a that like they live in the world they're in. They're really good at the world they're in, you know, and like someone, someone's working on this more established act. Someone's holding down, you're not, you're you're not, going to get a 22-year-old artist, like, working with, you know, one of your legacy rappers. It's just not happening. Right. You know, you need a grown-up in the room, like a real seasoned grown-up who has those old relationships. Because there's... Older ARs have really long-standing relationships, and they're really good at building and maintaining those relationships. Right. Um, Not everybody's, you know, the new cool stuff. You know, there's more established things over here that have been around for centuries, you know you know, for decades or whatever. And they've been yeah. there for a while. They all serve a purpose. Everyone serves a purpose. Um, there's no reason they'd probably be in the building. But a lot of times people stay in this business just off for sure, force of personality. You know what I mean? They're just a personality. They're loud. The loud person in the room, they're not necessarily right. They're just a loud person.
0: Right. They just know how to get their way. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess one last question to close everything out, but I think um, for different emerging artists or managers or uh, just what advice would you give for those emerging artists looking to begin working with a major label? Don't look for me. Don't pitch me anything.
2: Just go do you. Just don't be precious with your music. Just get it out there and pay attention to what's going on. Like take cues from people you currently or take, you know, look at, look at people you really fuck with and why they're winning. What is it? Pay attention. Just be a, whether you want to admit you're a student of what's going on, just be a student of it. If you're not going to the artist wise, just make sure your manager is tapped into that. Just, that's really it. Just do you and make the best version of yourself and people will respond to it.
0: Amazing. Well, on that note, Brian, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure.
2: Yeah, man. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it.
0: Man, that was awesome. What'd you think, Jordan? I thought that was great, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was good seeing him after. However many years since I've interned, you yeah, know, it's like yeah. a, full, sure. a full... Jordan all grown up now. Yeah, I know, man. Hopefully, hopefully he thinks so. I mean, he's still such a smart guy. It's crazy when you're around people like that, that that kind of helps you grow as a, as a music industry professional. As soon as you're in the room with them again, you're a student again, you know?
0: For sure. No, I definitely, like, really, really loved his advice that he had for emerging artists, which is to not look for A&Rs, to just focus on making incredible music, getting people to buy tickets to shows really kind of reiterated multiple times the importance of being able to get people to come out for your shows. So if you're a manager working with an emerging artist or an emerging artist yourself, like really focus on building out that community. I think it's, uh, I mean, that's what's really going to get the snowball to start rolling and building and really turn into potentially a, a career with lots of longevity. So I think, uh, I think Brian has become a master at really helping the stars align and really getting... Uh, all of the right pieces of the puzzle together on the, on the production side and making little tweaks here, getting people to refine hooks, refine pre-choruses. I mean, he even spoke just to the tact of there being too many syllables in the pre-chorus. I mean, just the, the level of depth and focus in which he's able to really deconstruct these sort of things is, is awesome. So, right. And I uh, thought
1: uh, I thought, you know, one of the bigger takeaways too that we didn't get to talk about as much, but that people should hear is that it doesn't always need to be you. You can, you can write songs for other people, too. I think people don't, don't think about that as much as if that's not as important of a career. These songs, they have two sides to them. They have the recording and they have the composition and that composition is just important. So mm. it doesn't always need to be you that's writing or that's uh, recording the record.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic point. So on that note, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, super grateful for your support. If you have any feedback, or if there's something you like, please don't hesitate to leave a review. It not only helps us make sure we're focusing on the things that matter to you, but it also helps ensure that this podcast is getting in front of other people that are going to want to listen to it. So on that note, thank you. We out.